Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. And all of you who are worshiping, worshiping with us online, we're so grateful for you and so thankful that you've joined us wherever you are in the world, wherever you are today. We thank you for coming into this moment in our church and worshiping the Lord with us. And for all of our campuses, thank you for being a part of this service right now. C.J. Stroud is the quarterback for the Houston Texans. And he just about three or four weeks ago became 22 years of age. He was 21 and he has been an amazing talent at so young. He has no experience except with the, the Texans and he has produced so much. It's amazing, he is actually producing above his age, above his experience. And it's very possible that he could grow into being maybe one of, if not the best quarterback that the Houston Texans have ever had. There are NFL pundits today that are saying that the Houston Texans are probably going to make the playoffs, and I hope they do. It'll be a good January if that happens, won't it? Now, I want you to imagine that Stroud gets everybody in the huddle and he calls the play. And the play he calls is for a quarterback option to the right. I'm sure it's called something else, but that's how I see it. So the quarterback option means that in this option play, he has the running back running with him to the right. He gets the ball, he runs to the right, and now in a split second, he's gonna decide whether he tosses the ball to the running back because he has the clearer path, or he cuts up field through the seam and he makes the yardage. There is one of the linemen who are at the line when the ball snap, he pulls back instead of going forward. He comes along so that he can be a blocker and the tight end is a blocker as well. All of this is to make some yardage and to further them down the field. But let's imagine he has called this quarterback option play and now the ball is hiked to him. And when he turns to the right, the running back goes to the left. The running back says, I, I, I didn't really like that play. I think I'll run a different play. And the lineman, instead of coming out and being one of the blockers, he just thrusts forward because he said, I have a different play in mind for me. And the tight end goes out for a pass, even though no pass is going to be thrown. It is obvious this play is going to go nowhere. You see, the power of the Texans' offense is that everybody gives up their own agenda and they run the play of the quarterback. And the power of Sugar Creek Baptist Church is that we all give up our own agenda and we run the play by our quarterback, who is the Holy Spirit of God. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. Early in Jesus's ministry, it was at the very beginning, Jesus and the disciples went through Samaria and they came to a well and there was a woman who was a total stranger to him. And he reached down and talked to her and, and uh, about God. Now it was a shock to her because the Samaritans didn't like the Jews, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans and a man wouldn't talk to a strange stranger of a woman uh, anyway. But here is Jesus and he speaks with such kindness and such love. He is trying to help this woman come to know how to have a personal relationship with God. And in the course of the things he says to her, 
He includes these two verses in John chapter four, verse 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What in the world is that? How do you worship God in spirit and in truth? What was Jesus saying? To worship in spirit and truth isn't so much about where you worship or what songs you sing, or what style of songs, or that you're even singing. What actually matters is that we worship God in spirit, meaning from our heart, not from tradition or rote, but we worship from our heart. God wants our worship to come from inside of us, our spirit to his spirit, our heart to his heart. That is worshiping in spirit. And we're to worship in truth. The truth about who God is. He is worthy of our praise because of his nature, who he is, his power, his glory, his goodness, his holiness. True worship comes by surrendering ourselves to a holy God. This morning, I want to talk to you about that very thing. I want to talk to you about the power of surrender, that worship is all about surrendering control from ourselves to God. So listen to how he puts it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 20. Don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Circle that phrase, fill and control. Then you will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Circle that phrase, in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is talking about a worship that is empowered. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit because of surrender, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Worship begins with the empowering by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus then, after he said that, said to his disciples, now, I want you to go, I want you to prepare your hearts for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked more about the Holy Spirit than anybody else, anywhere in the Bible. In fact, you can take all the words that are talked about with, of the Holy Spirit that are in the New Testament, bring them all together, and Jesus will have talked more about the Holy Spirit than all the others combined. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit of God coming to live inside of us the moment we accept Jesus Christ as Savior. We talk about when we get saved that Jesus has come to live in our hearts. And it's true, Jesus is God who came in the flesh. It's God who comes to live in our hearts. And specifically, the Holy Spirit of God. 
The moment we receive Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And he gives to us his power. He teaches us. He leads us. He directs our life. He comforts us. He empowers our life. Jesus is saying to us, give your heart to me and my Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you. If you're careful as you're reading the New Testament, you discover that that statement that Paul makes in the book of Philippians chapter 2, in which he says that there is Jesus in heaven and he gives up his throne, he gives up his glory, he gives up his power, he gives up everything he has in heaven, and he comes to the earth and he takes on the form of a man and even the form of a servant. He doesn't do any of his miracles by his own power. Well, of course he did the miracle, he's Jesus. No, he didn't do any of the miracles that he did by his own power. The Bible is very careful to tell us that Jesus did everything that he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit came into him as this God-man and filled him. And now every miracle he did, he did by the Holy Spirit. Everything that he taught, he taught by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus, he tells us now will be in you. The moment we receive Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit is sort of knocking on the door and we open it and he comes into our living room. But it isn't long until he wants to come into every room. He wants to fill our life and empower our life. Think of your life like a house. In your house, if you live in a house or an apartment, you've got all kinds of rooms. And each room has its own function. There's a kitchen, there's a living room, there's a kitchen, there's a laundry room, there's a garage if it's attached or even if it's detached. There's a a garage, it has a purpose. There's a den perhaps, there's a dining room maybe, there's bedrooms. Each room has its own purpose. And in the very same way, in our lives, we have a whole lot of things, a whole lot of rooms in our life. Each one of them have their own purpose. There there is a room for your family and maybe it's at the beginning the family that you were born into or adopted by and these are your parents and your siblings but then there's a day in which you have your own family and your own spouse and children and grandchildren. You got a room for that. You got a room for your talents and your abilities for church for uh, sports perhaps, for your goals and aspirations and the dreams of your life, for your career, for your education. We have all these rooms in our life. And maybe you were thinking as I was saying all that, hey, wait a minute, you didn't didn't mention a room for God. I mean, you're a pastor, you should have at least included a room for God. But God doesn't wanna be stuck in a room. See, God wants to be in all the rooms. He wants to fill every room. This is the struggle that Christians have when they make a room for God. We show up at church, this is a room for God. And when we're having problems or struggles or difficulties, we we call on God because we've got a room for God. 
But God doesn't want to be stuck in a room. God wants to be a part of all your life. He wants to be in every single room. That's the whole idea of the filling of the Holy Spirit, where he affects every single thing in our life. He wants to empower it all. That's the idea of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13. Don't be drunk with wine because it'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every room of your life, all your goals and aspirations, your career, your school, everything, give to the Holy Spirit and let him fill. When I was 20 years old, I became a pastor of a little country church. It was my first ministry. And I got to tell you, I was in college. I was totally intimidated with this moment. How in the world do I be a pastor? I don't have the experience. I certainly don't know all the ins and outs. And I felt so intimidated, so excited about the invitation, so intimidated with the task. I knew so little about the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a pastor's home, but I, I couldn't remember hearing much about the Holy Spirit at all. I heard about God the Father. I heard about, uh, obviously, Jesus, but very little about the Holy Spirit. But what I knew is that I needed him. I needed the power that he gave. I needed the strength. I didn't understand how to do all that. I came across two books from a man who literally changed my life. Pastor Jack Taylor he was the pastor of, of uh, Castle Hills Baptist Church in San, San Antonio. And he wrote several books, but two of the books I got my hands on as a 20-year-old guy, Much More and The Key to Triumphant Living. When I read those books, I took them so seriously. I started working through what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what he was talking about. And especially to pastors, he was saying, don't let your life be all gobbled up by, by all of these achievements that are placed upon you to do. No, live your life, pastor that church through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let him be in control of your life. And I gave everything I had to following what he said about the filling of the Holy Spirit. What I discovered is how I can live the empowered life. Jack Taylor in his books said that the first thing you've got to do is you've got to be willing to be emptied of yourself. This is what these three objects here on the table are about. I have a pitcher of milk. I have an empty glass. I have a glass with water. The glass with water is sort of me. All my goals and aspirations and my career, my marriage, uh, my family, all my hobbies, my money, my time, everything. All of these goals and aspirations that I had in my heart. But the truth is, all of them were infected with me. My selfishness, my self-centeredness, what I wanted. And what Jack Taylor taught me in the books is that I had to let that go. It, it's not that I'm letting my career go or goals or aspirations go, but I have them infected with me. It's all about me. 
And I have to let these go. Now, put on top of those all my sins, all my biases, all the mistakes and the hurts of my life. What Jack Taylor said is that the critical thing is that we have to let those go and give every one of them back to God. Now, how do you do that? Well, what he said is, take a piece of paper, take several sheets of paper, put every aspect of your life on, and details. Don't say my goals, list the goals. Don't say my possessions, list the possessions. Don't say my family, list the members of my family. He said it will take pages, but you, you put everything down. That's exactly what I did. I wanted it so badly. I put everything in my life, details. And then he says what you do is you give one at a time back to God. I give you control over this area of my life. He said, some things are so easy. Give all those first. But then you're going to discover that they, they get harder as they go. And I found that to be true. It took me weeks. It took me weeks to get through the list. To be willing to give up everything that I had longed to see in my life. And even my wife to give them all back to God. I came to that place. We can only be filled with God when we empty ourselves of our control. And one thing after another, I slowly but surely gave it back to God until honestly and truthfully, I was empty. What do you do then? When you come to a place in which you have given one thing after another back to God, what do you do then? It is at this moment that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, if you tried to pour the milk into the water at the beginning, what a mess that would be. And you could never get all the water out if you did that. No, you've got to empty the water. You've got to empty the selfishness of your life before you can pour the Holy Spirit of God fill your life with his control. What happened to me is that once I became empty, I then said, Holy Spirit, I want you to be totally in control of my life. I will never forget that moment. There was nothing supernatural that happened but a great sense of joy, a great sense of peace, a great sense of confidence, a great sense of, I can do this. I have a power. It's not my power. I have a power in my life who has filled me, and I'm ready for the task. I remember that sense coming over my life. The filling of the Holy Spirit isn't a feeling. It is a decision to surrender control. What I discovered is that as days went by, I would take some of it away. I would take control over some. So I had to go back to God and ask him to take charge of the things I kept taking back for him. This is why in the verse, it doesn't just say in in the the, uh, uh, Greek, to be filled with the spirit, it actually says be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, what does all this have to do with worship? This is all about the Holy Spirit. Well, the reason I bring it up is because God does. Look at what he says. The first effect of a surrendered life is true worship. He says in Ephesians 5, verse 18 and 19, don't be drunk with wine because it'll ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Then you will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. And there's the key phrase. That's what it means to worship in spirit. In your heart, there will be a difference in the worship of your life. I have to tell you, I know that there are some people that struggle, I did too, of giving everything to God. Because if I give all my goals and aspirations, if I give everything in my life to God, maybe he'll take them away from me. No, I gotta hold on to those. But the truth is, I discovered, he didn't take them away, he just infuses them with power. He just makes them deeper. He just makes them stronger. He's not trying to ruin your life. He's trying to empower your life. And the more we give to him, the stronger the power is of him in our life. When we do it, there is suddenly a change that happens in our worship. The key to deeper worship is surrender to God. The more we surrender, the deeper the praise in our life. Notice verse 15. He says, we'll have songs that are psalms. That's what they would sing. In first century, they would sing songs that were comprised of the words of different psalms. We do the very same thing today. And hymns, he mentions. They had hymns in the first century. We have hymns today. And spiritual songs or scripture songs, they had those in the first century. We have those today. In other words, we worship just like they worshiped in first century, only the songs are different. But the idea is the same. But these words that are coming out of our mouth are not just from our lips, they're from our heart. It changes worship forever. The kinds of songs God cares about are those that come out of our heart. Whatever the type of song it is, true praise can only take place when God is in control of us. And true praise can only take place when God is in control of every aspect of our life. And God is saying, I'm not trying to shut you down. I'm not trying to take stuff from you. I'm trying to give you more. I'm trying to empower you so that you can experience the life I've intended for you. The power of the Holy Spirit in our life. But there is something else. Look at what he tells us in verse 20. The second effect of a surrendered life is gratitude. Verse 20, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is saying, when we become filled with the Holy Spirit, we will give thanks for everything in her life. Troy was a Marine, and he had already retired from the Marine Corps, and he was 43 years of age when he came to discover that he was dying. 
He was dying because of a disease in his heart. And the cardiologist said to him, the only chance you have is to get a heart transplant. Troy struggled with even praying for it because he knew in order to get a heart transplant, somebody else had to die. And so we began to pray, God, if it is your will that a person is going to come to see you early, I'm asking that you give me the opportunity to live with that heart. Just your will be done in my life. Well, it turns out that there was a heart that was harvested. There was a young man that was 23 years of age and he was suddenly killed. And he had donated all of his organs and his heart was a perfect match for Troy. When Troy did the investigation, he discovered that the man who donated his heart to him was also a Marine. His name was Ricky Martinez. He lived in Chicago. Ricky was killed by mistaken identity. There was a gang that mistook who he was and shot and killed him. He wasn't a part of any gang. He was a Marine, but he was killed by mistaken identity. When Troy found out that he had a heart of a, of a Marine, he was so excited and so grateful to Ricky Martinez. He kept exploring, investigating. He discovered the address of Ricky Martinez's mother and he called her and he asked if he could come and see her and she said, oh, I want you to come. He went to see Ricky's mom and when they were standing there together, I have a hard time telling this story. When they were standing there together, she put her hand on his chest and could feel the heart of her son beating in Troy's body. And she said, this is so like my son that even through death, he is helping to save someone else. We could see why Troy would be thanksgiving thanks to God. We can see how he would have such thanksgiving to the Lord because he had gotten a heart. But there are so many things that happen in our life that we cannot see why. We don't understand how in the world am I to give thanks for this? How can I be thankful to God when this happened and that happened and all these things have gone wrong in my life and I'm supposed to give thanks to God? It's what he says in verse 20. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he didn't just say it once. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now understand what he's saying in the verse. He is not saying it's the will of God all these bad things that have happened. He is saying it's the will of God in spite of the things that have happened for you to give thanks to him. How can we do that? Because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 28 
that God will take anything and everything that is happening in our life, even the hard things and the hurtful things and the difficult things, and somehow, some way, turn those around for good in our life. If we know Christ, if we love Christ, he will make whatever happens in our life turn around and be a blessing to us. We got to take that by faith because usually we can't see it with our eyes, but we got to take it by faith. God is at work here. God can do some, some miracle in my life. He can take the hard thing, the hurtful thing, and turn it around for good. I choose to trust him, and I will give thanks to him in spite of what I go through, giving thanks. He is saying the more we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the more we're understanding what God is doing. And even in those things we can't understand, the more willing we are to be thankful, knowing the faithfulness of God. There is a psychologist that uh, is at Harvard University, and he writes that and teaches in his class that there is a power in thankfulness in our life. He says that if the person, any person, will be willing to give thanks for three things in that person's life, reserve five minutes of every day, and in that five minutes, give thanks for three things in your life, no matter how small, no matter how trivial, it will literally change your life. For instance, thanking God that I had lunch, but there was no okra on the plate. The small things, the little things in our life, giving thanks to God, or the big things, three things every day. It's sort of like setting your watch or your cell phone to the same time every day, and in those five minutes, you stop and you give thanks to God for three things in your life. And here's what he says will happen. He says over the course of three months, if you do that every single day, the stress level in your life will actually begin to decrease. The depression that you feel will begin to decrease. The joy in your life will increase and the peace in your life will increase. He said in three months, you literally can change your life by being thankful. What he didn't know is he's only teaching what the Bible already teaches us. And he is totally right. Learning how to give thanks back to God will literally change our lives. I don't know how many of you have uh, watched an episode from uh, The Chosen, anybody? in the room? Many of you have. I haven't seen all of the, uh, the uh, sessions that are of Chosen. I've seen a few of them. And it is the life of Christ, and it is then going into the book of Acts and what happens in the church for the Chosen. But it is a little different approach than a, a Jesus film. Well, the guy that was chosen to be the character of Jesus was a guy named is a guy named Jonathan Rumi. Jonathan Rumi was, is an actor. He was living in Los Angeles at the time that he was chosen for this, but he was having a terrible time. You can imagine that so many people that go to LA hoping to become movie stars, 
don't usually make it. And he was one of those who wasn't making it. He would interview, but he wouldn't get chosen, or the, the, the places that would choose him would just be roles, uh, small roles, and he wasn't making much money doing it at all. He had to have another job, but even the other job wasn't giving him enough money to be able to pay his bills, and he finally came to the end of himself. He, he couldn't pay for his rent. He couldn't pay for anything. He was totally out of money, and he came to a place of desperation. Now, Rumi is a Christ follower, and he went back to his apartment this day. He couldn't pay his rent. He couldn't pay any of his bills, and he came back to his apartment, and he got down on his knees and weeping, saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't want to give up my career. I really believe I'm supposed to be here. But God, today, I've just got to give everything to you. Now, he said the only thing in his past that he was not willing to give to God had been his career. He was afraid God wouldn't let him be an actor. He was so desirous to be an actor. If I give that part of my life to God, he'll take it away. And many people believe that. If I give God something that means the world to me, he'll just take it away. He's not trying to make your life miserable. He's trying to make your life empowered. And on this day, he finally gave his career to God. And he said to God, I'm tired of fighting you. I'm tired of being a loser. If you want me to give up acting, I'll give it up. But here's my career. He confessed his sins. He cleared his heart. He gave everything to God. When he had finished praying, he got up and he, he went for a walk just to sort of clear his mind. And then he came back and he went to the mailbox and in his mailbox were four checks he didn't know was coming. Four checks that had so much money in the four checks he could pay all of his bills and pay some bills to come. Maybe you're thinking, well, maybe he shouldn't have prayed, he'd have still gotten the checks. But here's what I think. I think God knew he would pray and would yield. And so God, in the timing, answered his prayers before he even prayed them. And there were four checks. And there he was. He paid all of his bills. He kept going now, able to go now. And three months later, he was chosen to be on the chosen and to do the part of Jesus. I saw him in an interview a couple of months ago, and he said that when he got the role of Jesus, it was so intimidating. I guess it was. He said it was so intimidating, he thought to himself, I'll never be able to do this well. And so he poured the gospels into his life, and every day he would study, how did Jesus respond to this and that? How, what did Jesus say to this and that person? How did Jesus live his life? I want to mimic what Jesus did. And he said it became the pursuit of his life to mimic everything Jesus did so he could get into the role. And he said, what happened was I began to change. I began to respond like Jesus would have responded. I began to say the things that Jesus would have said. I began to do the things that Jesus would do. And I discovered my whole life changed. This is me. 
but it's me only because I yielded to Jesus. God might not be calling you to be Jesus in the chosen. I think that spot's filled. But God is calling you for something else. God has a plan for your life, a purpose for your life, and he wants to empower you to accomplish it. But as long as it is you, it is yours, you won't give it up. No, God, I can't trust you with this. As long as you do that, you will always be doing what you're doing in the flesh. You'll always be doing it with self-centeredness and selfishness. It will always just be you. You don't want to live a life that the sum total of it is what you can accomplish. You want to live a life that it cannot be explained any other way, but that God has done this in you. The power of God is resident in you. You want that in your life. You want to be able to look back at your life and say, oh my soul, look what God did. Look what God did. Look how God used me. Look at how my life has turned out and how God has used me in a way I could have never dreamed. That's the life you want to live. And the only way you can get there is to finally give it up. Give up all these talents and abilities and all these rooms of your life. Give it up and all the selfishness of it. Give it to God. Let him come into every room of your life. Fill every room of your life, one room at a time, and watch what he will do. He won't take it away from you. What God will do is infuse it with power and will use you in a way you could not have dreamed that God would have done because he has filled you with his Holy Spirit. That's what it means to live a Spirit-filled life. Would you walk through that? Listing everything on a piece of paper or whatever it is, that how God has you do it. But yield one room at a time and see what God does in your life. I'll tell you what will happen. Not only will there be a power that comes out of your life, not only will you accomplish more than you could have ever dreamed you would accomplish, but there will be a new praise that comes out of your life. And there will be a new thankfulness that comes out of your life. It is amazing the transformation that will happen in your life. And all it is, is the power of the Holy Spirit who's already inside you, now taking charge. Would you open your heart? Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we ask, oh God, Would you move in our heart? Would you be the Lord of our life? Would you be the Lord of the rooms in our heart? Instead of us just living our way, our selfishness in our flesh, God, show us how to give one part after another to you, not to take from us, but to empower us. Father, there are people that are listening to my voice right now online and one of our campuses, and the truth is they have never accepted Jesus as their Savior. And where they need to start is that, 
to invite you to come into their heart and to save them and forgive them and and start this new journey with you. And I pray, God, that you would do that with those online and the chat host can help and those in one of our campuses to say, I want to get started. I want Christ in my life. And then, Father, for everyone who knows Jesus, who has a room for him and keeps him in that room, God, would you use this message to open the doors, to open our heart, to allow the Holy Spirit of God to go anywhere and everywhere and to fill one room after another. Oh God, would you infuse us with your power, with your strength, with your direction, with your leadership and teach us how to live a life we could never have dreamed beyond our ability that the only explanation is the hand of God has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. God, move in our hearts today to live this life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.